with the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, really excited. This is a new series. We're going to be talking about real world assets. We're going to be talking about kind of, uh, this is like, if we weren't geeky enough, we're really going to dive into reg tech. Um, you know, where is blockchain going? Where is traditional finance going? And where does this really meet and merge? Um, there's been a lot of people that are working on kind of the concept of like, we're going to take all of the traditional finance and centuries of laws and regulations, and we don't need any of that because you know what? We've got math and math is better than any rules and regulations. And I'm going to just say, no, it, it does not work in that capacity. Uh, and I've been able to enlist a couple friends of mine, uh, Siva Avaru and Brad Yasher are here uh, to really talk and, and collaborate with me on these concepts. So the goal is, this is a multi-part series. We're going to be talking about real world assets as it relates to traditional finance and, and, and existing regulation as it is today, um, as, as we see it now. And so we're going to start talking right off the bat. And, and Brad, I'm going to kind of jump over to you. Um, feel free to give a little bit of your background, but I want to talk about custody. And there's a lot of people that, that believe, and, and again, I, I believe at this point right now that at $1 trillion, you know, the, the crypto market cap is very, very small. Like this is a teeny tiny, uh, you know, market cap in, in a hundreds of trillions of dollars of regulated assets around the world. And so the, the concept of self-custody, while I think everyone should have the right to your 12 seed keys, um, I don't believe that's where we're going to see the majority of people going. And so I'd, I'd love to pitch it over to you to start this conversation on what custody of a security, a true security, a true regulated asset um, can and should look like and why. Thank you for having me, Jay. I'm uh, Brad Yassar, CEO of Equify. We are a uh, fully licensed, regulated uh, neobank uh, with some decentralized finance products and services. So uh, when you said, where do traditional finance and this new technology, blockchain, and, and uh, get together, I mean, banking and financial services is, uh, is, is a very uh, organic touch point. Just, just because of the, the nature of the technology as well as uh, the needs, the current modern needs of uh, banking and financial institutions. So um, custody is very, very important uh, element in all of the traditional systems. Just because if you look at stocks, who, uh, who self-custodies their stocks and bonds today? I mean, I'm sure there are people who still uh, write to the company they invest in and request that and, and uh, put it in a safe somewhere in their homes. But that's a tiny, tiny fraction. Uh, most people have those uh, registered with their broker brokerages. And, and that works because that allows them the um, ease of buying and selling. You don't have to take your physical uh stock certificates take it to a broker dealer get them certified i mean if you want to train and do it in a timely way 
uh, at whenever you want to, whenever you see the market is uh, where you you uh, want to go in or out at. It works great. Uh, and, and I use that example because digital assets are, are no different. Yes, you can self-custody your digital assets. You can have a very sophisticated system and you're in control and that's very powerful. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not going to agree that, that for the first time in our lives, uh, we can preserve value in a way no third party can um, take it away from us. But it's not practical. And the same uh, token as, you know, not having all your money in cash at home, not having your stock certificates, having all your digital assets at home, self-custody uh, for a lot of people is one, scary because that's, that's a lot of responsibility and hence the importance of good custodians. Uh, but also it's, it's not uh, practical because then uh, they need to figure out how to use a wallet. They need to figure out what to do with that wallet, how to connect to the blockchain. And, and for some people, this is super easy. You know, they may be watching this show and saying, what are you guys talking about? You know, it's super easy. You connect your hardware wallet and your Bitcoin is there. So I disagree with you. But for 99% of the world population, it's it's very stressful. Uh, I know my, my parents still get anxiety logging into their mobile banking because they have that fear of, what if I do something wrong? Yeah. Whereas when they go into the bank branch and talk to their bankers and there's a human being, they ask questions, they feel much better because that's that genuine. Yeah, and and I very much, I very much believe that self custody is a right that will will be carried through. Um, you know, you can go to a bank right now and you can withdraw all your cash and you can put it under your mattress or or put it in a vault or or move it into. There's a variety of ways that you can have self custody of your assets today, and and I believe it's going to continue on in blockchain. But I I, I have to say I think that in, in a very small way it's going to be the way most people manage their assets, and it's going to be non-existent for large financial institutions that need to have a few things. They need to have uh, the security. They need to have the, the consistent regulation because I can promise, you know, I can promise that, you know, the fact that I've put it at my 12 or 24 word seed key and I got a ledger is not near as secure as most likely uh, at a bank and the security teams that you, get ha you guys have constantly auditing this. Um, and and I really leads into my next, you know, kind of point, which I'm going to go over to SIVA for, which is around liquidity, which means how do you access true markets, true regulated markets, which I don't believe are going to be going away because no financial institution is going to, you know, not, not want to mitigate their counterparty risk in, in relation to KYC, KYB, and OFAC compliance. You know, so Siva, talk about, you know, what it means to be hooked into something like an MTF or an ATS. Um, you know, th those, those are licensed entities that will not in any way, shape, or form ever accept you just to hook a MetaMask wallet into it. It has to come from a licensed custodian. Yeah, I, I think... Um, <clears throat> You know, what's funny, and, and, and Brad made a lot of great points that I'm going to allude to here, but what's funny is that what we're seeing in the crypto and DeFi world as novel new concepts were actually concepts explored back in the 80s that never gained traction or never gained, uh, never materialized because these were when regulators and you know financial institutions explored these concepts in, in depth, it, it wasn't regulatory compliant. So when you think about financial securities, there's a key concept that you know probably 90% of the public isn't aware of, that financial securities have to trade on regulated execution venues. 
And regulated execution venues means that there are adherences and compliance laws for both entities that are on both sides of the trade, buy and sell side, to adhere to. And one of the biggest ones in that is AML um, and KYC and KYB. Just that, just that requirement alone eliminates the DeFi market from exposure to institutional capital. Because if you cannot, if you are a regulated entity dealing with regulated securities and a regulated execution venue, you have to know the counterparty. And that is inherently opposite and antagonist to the core ethos of DeFi, which is anonymous trades. And so the big reason right now where there is no institutional uh, capital or liquidity in the DeFi markets, and we can say, you know, people say crypto markets is great liquidity. There's market makers, Web3 market makers that are playing in that space. But in reality, the crypto markets and the liquidity is very minuscule in comparison to the traditional capital market space, right? The, 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 the peak of the crypto markets and liquidity a couple of years ago was still smaller than the smallest commodity markets traded on your door, on, on your Borsa groups, right? On your NASDAQs, on your, on your London stock exchanges, on your, 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 your New York stock exchanges. And so when you want institutional capital to flood into a market, in this case, securities and capital markets, then that means that you have to have the parties market making happening in a regulated execution venue. In the US, we call that an ATS. Um, in Europe, that is called an MTF, a multilateral trading facility. To be able to access those, right now, what we do know, at, at least at the point of this recording, very few, I, I think right now, no Web3 exchange has access to an MTF. Um, there, there were a couple of a couple of years ago, but they, they've shut down since. But if you don't have access to an MTF, that's a big reason why we don't see products like crypto derivatives uh, in the market right now, because they don't trade. They have to trade on a regulated execution venue and crack in. And the most recent MTF access was actually FTX, which was pulled because of the FTX implosion, right? And so it's interesting, right? There, there, there's no regulated execution venues right now that exist in the Web3 web markets that allow your Jane Streets, you know, your, your BNY Mellons, your Santander's, your mm. JP Morgan's, your Citibank's, your Chase Bank's, your... You know, think of the market makers, think of the buyers, the sellers, the people that are trading on the Bloomberg terminals, the people that are tr trading high frequency trading desks on day to day basis where institutional capital is flowing. That's not even they don't even have a market exposure right now into into the crypto markets. And so there is a huge liquidity void to your point, um, Jay, that in, in this space right now. Yeah. Brad, anything to add uh, to those concepts there? No, I, I just started thinking about the uh, Bitcoin uh, ETF uh, applications that are pending. The more uh, Steve said liquidity, I'm like, it's coming, it's coming, wait for it. But yeah, we, we need to connect. There's always when we find out um, jolting technologies where it, you jump so far away from uh, whatever is established that it almost breaks the ceiling on the comfort zone of, of the incumbents. There's always a transition period, and we're in that transition period right now where uh, we need to connect both the old world, the traditional financial rails, and 
the new world, the, the blockchains and, and decentralized products and services. And that's what we're trying to uh, do with Equify because everyone wants to go to the fully decentralized, fully automated, fully this future that uh, that they, they expect to come. But if you don't have a managed transition period, then it just doesn't happen. It yeah. doesn't happen. That future never comes because you, you can't leave everything that was built behind and and build something and assume that everyone else is going to follow you you have to build the bridges create this environment where you prove to people the newer technology is better and i'm sure we can all agree the blockchain technology for banking for financial services for stock markets is a better technology than what we have but we have to transition into that era and everyone has to be comfortable with it hence the need for regulation to guide us during that transition because if, if there's no regulation then who do we um you know who do we agree with because there's there's different countries different uh yeah. you know groups of power everyone wants to do their own thing you don't get anything that's why the banking regulations like the uh, kyc aml kyb all those things work because everyone agrees everyone said we want kyc because we don't want to launder money yeah like that's that's not good we don't want terrorism and we don't want to finance terrorism so we want kyc and what and once we universally agreed the stock market started growing. We started having global uh, projects and, and uh, you know systems, which is great. And that's where we need to go with blockchain because it already started as a global phenomenon. So we can't just narrow it to US or Europe yeah. or anywhere. We just need to um, create the, the the growth environment for it to have a successful transition. And, and, and there's a lot of benefits to this. You know, everyone, you know, no, let's be clear. Number one, regulate, regulated technology is very hard to do, which is why it takes banks so long to do what they do and, and to manage, you know, the, the systems and tools and resources that they have. But there's a lot of benefits that come through with it. There's a lot of consumer protections that were, were designed and built from, from errors that were already happened along the ways. Um, and one of those insurance, insurability. And so, you know, Brad, I'd love to, to, you know, have you kind of chime in a little bit because one of the reasons why, you know, you, you put your money with a bank is because, you know, you want that, you want that insurance, you know, you want, you want to be able to either have like something like FDIC insurance or be able to buy insurance on assets that you own as well. Um, which right now people claim they're working on in, in blockchain, but it's not there. Um, and so if we're saying, you know, we want to go, you know, we want to go from a trillion dollars to a hundred trillion dollar market cap for all cryptocurrencies. Um, we gotta, we gotta be able to, to bring the players along like insurance. So, so talk with us about, you know, what, what that looks like and, and how you guys have already integrated that into uh, Equibank. Well, I, I'm going to use an art example for this one because I think it's a good uh, illustration. You may have a Jackson Pollock in your house right now sitting on the wall. What's the value of it, right? Because if you don't have the provenance, if you don't have, uh, you know, an actual uh, insurance on it, there's no value, basically. It could be a fake, but once you get the provenance, and if that were to be in the custody of, of a custodian, an art custodian, you can get insurance. Hence, you have a valuation, and you can even borrow against it. So, but what we wanted to do 
was we wanted to make sure people can uh, borrow against their digital assets and and use that liquidity uh, if and when needed. And and for that, we need to be the custodian of the assets so we can say, okay, we have this uh, and this is worth this much based on the market pricing and we can lend this much out to you. I, I don't want to digress into a lending product here, but it's uh, it's very important to have have a custodian when you have assets in excess of what you want to showcase or use or actively tap into so that the third party validates that value for you. And then it becomes insurable and then it becomes accessible to loans and, and you give new life to that asset, whether it's art, digital assets, stocks, bonds, um, you know, again, if you have your stock certificates at home, that's it. You have the certificates, great. If you have it with your broker dealer, that's, uh, you know, working with a custodian and, you know, they're in custody. Now you can borrow against them. They, they give you a line against them. They, I mean, again, I think it's very important to understand for commercial purposes and institutional purposes it's it's a much more practical uh setup to have a custodian than self-custody and this has been true across time so i i don't see that changing just because we have a better technology now we just need to adapt the rules and regulations to the new technology but the the notion that if a third party validates what you have it's worth more and more accessible is is just going to be there. Yeah, and 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 those third parties that are willing to lend, like they they're not interested in your your free wallet that you have or your ninety nine dollar ledger. You know, they, there's there's a lot more security involved. And so, Siva, you know, I come back to you with, you know, are is we we've spent spent so much time studying you know, traditional regulations, traditional finance. And we see all the new technologies that, that are coming along with blockchain-based finance. And I'm not saying decentralized finance. I'm saying blockchain-based finance. And I'm being a, very clear between the two of those. And I believe that blockchain-based finance will eventually lead to something that looks like DeFi, um, smells like DeFi, but is not what we see today. So, Siva, I'd love you to kind of talk about some of the examples of like how, you know, we're, we're integrating, you know, smart contracts, you know, legal custodians, uh, you know, routing to MTFs and, and how all that kind of rolls into, you know, transitioning the world from, from a SWIFT system type uh, ecosystem to, to the blockchain-based finance world that we all know that we want to get to. Um, but, but we don't need to wait for new rules or regulations for. Brad made a couple of good examples that I think point to a great exa- uh, use case of why a lot of market participants and a lot of the structures are set up in current state of, of the capital markets and why a lot of the concepts of DeFi, especially self-custody, might not necessarily be able to translate or won't translate, uh, especially trying to clear regulatory hurdles. Um, you know, the first concept is self-custody just in general. When you think about it, and as, as Brad was talking about, like, if I'm self-custodying my asset, who is certifying or who is guaranteeing the backing of that asset? It's me, right? I don't have the capability to certify or back the liquidity of let's say let's say I bought a you know a tokenized cart collection that's twenty five million dollars, and do I have the liquidity to certify and back that, or or, or does do I have a partner that that, that is that, that 
the self custody in itself, you know, it opens up a lens, especially for like regulated custodians provide so much more than just actually holding an asset, right? Like regulated custodians, when you think of what a regulated custodian provides, there's all of the compliance around securities, right? AMLs and KYBs and all that stuff. There's the security, right? And they have institutional security, cold storage, right? Hot storage, you know, if you're in the EU, you have to adhere to MIFID II compliance, right? MIFID II compliance, if you're self-custodying, doesn't adhere to that, right? Just the nature of where your data is sitting for these assets. It has to sit in either colos or, you know, split between, you know, on-prem and off-prem, you know, databases and, and storage. There's a whole fintech regulatory environment and framework and industry built to support that, right? The biggest thing that Brad mentioned is insurance. Right now, if I self-custody that, not a single insurance provider recognizes those assets to be able to insure against. Whereas one of the requirements for regulated custodian providers is to provide insurance policies against those assets. So when you have someone like, let's use BNY Mellon. BNY Mellon is one of the biggest regulated custodians in the capital market space. You have certified trust and confidence if your asset is being custodied by BNY Mellon, if there was some sort of event, BNY Mellon is going to make you whole or someone in that process is going to make you whole. That is insurance, that is oversight, that is credibility, that is investor confidence, that is all these things that these regulated institutions can provide to you because the laws have been set up to help promote the safety of the investor or the buyer, which is us. Whereas if we go into DeFi and self-custody, all of that disappears, right? And so now we have the cases of, hey, my my wallet address, I, I you know, I, I forgot how to log into my, my Ethereum wallet or I lost 10 Bitcoin on a flash, you know, this actually happened to me. I lost 10 Bitcoin on a flash drive 10 years ago. You know, who do I contact to go make me the whole? No one. But if I had, you know, a bond default, you know, and it was being held by BNY Mellon, there is a whole process to go and remedy that, right? That doesn't exist, right? And so when you, when you like, and that, is, that, is, that, is, that is the point where we're at. We're, we're still so early in this, in this phase of emerging technologies where the technology is actually very well proven. The technology can do what we need it to do. The issue is not the technology. The issue is actually bringing in, bringing the, inst the current institutional framework up to standards to modernize and to adapt and bring in these technologies that still uh, achieve the end goals of all of these regulatory frameworks of why they were built in the first place, which is to protect the individual investor. And if we can figure out a way to make blockchain work with existing capital markets infrastructure and regulatory frameworks, then that's the best of both worlds. But right now, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing so many people try to be the disruptors and trying to be like, well, hey, we want to be the first people to tokenize, you know, car collections and what have you. And that's great. Go tokenize them. Cool. You can tokenize anything right now. There's no liquidity, right? Who, where, where, what market is that actually going to move on? Right? Who, who are you? Are you, you can't even send, sell tokenized uh, uh, car collections on Coinbase, and that's not even a regulated execution venue, right? And so, when you think about dark pools and some of these concepts propping up, that's essentially what you're creating with the current infrastructure. So there's, we're still quite a way away from um, I'm getting to that point, but I think there's a lot of participants like Equibank for Equify, for example, where they're taking a regulated custodian approach to this space and saying, hey, we understand how capital markets work. We understand what are the regulatory requirements you need to adhere to. We also understand the technology 
And this is how we can uh, start to hybridize and move forward. Right. And I think we're starting to see things like that, you know, with like the ETF filings that Brett had mentioned before. And it's coming. They're figuring it out. It's taken yep. them years to figure out the technology. But I think I think, you know, within the next two years, we'll see a big, big wave of real world assets going on chain. And we'll see a huge, huge uh, entrance by a lot of the traditional capital markets players in the space. No, I, I, I completely wholeheartedly agree with with everything both you, Brad, and, and Steve are, are saying on here. And that's that and so that's really where we want to take the time and educate people on, you know, where where the puck is going. You know, not where we are today, not where we were a couple of years ago. And Brad, you know, clearly you saw this vision a while ago because you understand uh, TradFi very well and you're you're integrating blockchain technologies. But I want to talk about three articles that are in the news today to showcase that that the things we're talking about isn't just us in a in a silo. Um, you know, I I travel the world same as you, Brad, same as you, Siva. I, I talk at conferences, I, I speak, at, um, speak at a lot of events, and I, and, and, and I work on the same things that you guys work on, which is, where is this going? And it's not going to be accomplished you know, this year, next year, or the year after. This is decades of work that we're all going to do, and we have to lay the groundwork today and start to really understand the merging of these systems so you can move from one and migrate to the other. Um, and so, three articles real quick that we're going to run through. First is the uh, UK, um, FCA is uh, currently working on blueprints to tokenize funds. Um, and I think that this is a really important thing because this is this is not them saying, hey, we're gonna we're creating new laws or regulation uh, around cryptocurrencies. They're talking about tokenizing you know venture capital funds. They're talking about about traditional funds and how you can utilize this technology. And we've seen this work very well. Olympus Dow went from zero to $3.4 billion um, and then came crashing back down because they couldn't deploy the capital. It wasn't raised legally. There's a lot of things happening there. So Brett, uh, Brett, I love, you know, a couple seconds on your thoughts around, you know, true regulation around um, not an asset, but raising capital through tokenization. Um. I'm a hundred percent supporter. So I, um, I backed a project similar to that out of, uh, Europe, uh, six years ago. And, uh, these, uh, gentlemen went and, uh, they wanted to raise the fund, uh, with tokens. So they sold their tokens, operated the fund for a year and a half successfully, deployed all the capital, returned over 300%. To all of the token holders quarterly so every quarter as long as you had tokens in the wallet you would get the proceeds from any trading or or liquidity that they had in the fund and then they closed the fund and uh, proved that it can be done so i'm very excited and bullish about the uh, uk regulation because the biggest issue right now in private equity is um liquidity yep not only access to it, but liquidity post-investment. So if you have a fund, if you have a VC fund with an outlook of 8 to 16 years, and you know the fund closes after six years and it's fully deployed, you start going into this waiting game, and that's dead capital because there's so much value created if you're in a successful fund, but you can't do anything with it until, uh, you know, until their exits and until their decisions to distribute. When you tokenize a fund, not only you can open it up to more people because you can lower your minimums. You may not want to, but you can. It's an option uh, because right now processing a $50,000 investment into a fund in a $50 million is the same amount of work. It's exactly the same amount of work. Same paperwork, 
same checks and balances. So, of course, there's a, a you know, preference towards larger check sizes so that you don't have to do the, the same work a thousand times to get there. Yep. But with a tokenized model, what that allows you to do is set it up once and the technology takes care of it. If Siwa wants to buy you know, 100 million tokens, then he can go ahead and buy his 100 million tokens. I maybe want to buy only a thousand of them, but still be want to be in that fund and I buy a thousand. And the management the transparency reporting and management becomes automated, programmatic. So now, not only you're saving money on uh, the, the, the funding of the fund, but also if any of the LPs need to exit at any time, you can provide that liquidity to them and say, hey, if there's someone else willing to buy your token in the fund, Go sell it. And then obviously it has to be compliant, KYC, AML. I'm yeah. going to keep repeating that so we're all on the same page. But aside from that, it's open. Like there's a built-in secondary market if you're a successful fund. Yep. Whereas if I want to buy an LP out of Sequoia or A16Z now, it's almost impossible. I mean, the legal work that would have to be done to get the authorization from the GPs, from the selling LP to the buying LP and their attorneys. I mean, it's it's so prohibitively complex and expensive that, um, you know, it, it, it's not a common practice. Whereas you tokenize Sequoia's newest fund. Now you can trade those tokens yeah. among among all the authorized users, and and that level of liquidity allows all that uh, frozen capital in in private companies value that billion dollars to be unlocked because people can go in and out. Maybe someone right now wants to go into SpaceX, and I can name four or five people on the cap table that'll love to uh, you know have a liquidity event. So. By matching that and doing it in a tokenized, regulated, com compliant way, you're unlocking a, a, a capital flow like we've never seen before because it wasn't possible technologically. Yeah, and, and, and I think that really showcases, again, blockchain finance is really making sense, even if you adhere to traditional finance rules and regulations. Um, Steve, I want to jump over to you with another concept. So I have two articles, uh, and, and Brad, I'll have you comment on these as well. And I think it really showcases you know, where we need to kind of start thinking a little differently. For those of us that spend a lot of time in, in blockchain and, and Web3, um, there's two articles here. One is UBS is launching a tokenization trial uh, on Ethereum. And uh, UBS is one of the one of the largest banks in the world. Um, and then we also have another article with one of the largest asset holders in the world, which is JP Morgan, uh, is doing a, a tokenization trial uh, on their their own chain, which is Onyx uh, with BlackRock. And I think this really really showcases that there is not going to be a single chain to win them all. Um, you know, nobody cares if your website is hosted on Amazon S3 or Microsoft Azure. Does it work? Is it secure? And and does it does it manage what it's supposed to be doing well for the consumer and for, you know, anyone that's utilizing it. And so, you know, Siva, when, when we kind of start thinking about where is this world going, you know, how are we going to manage, you know, a blockchain uh, agnostic world when we've got, you know, different players that are, that do have their fiefdoms that they want to manage? Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> 
One of the first problems with Web3 and like the blockchain world, and if you talk to anyone that is a DeFi maxis, is you know they focus on the technologies that these large institutions are chasing, and I want to overlook that. You know, let's overlook that UBS has chosen Ethereum for a second. UBS is signaling that they're taking this space uh, serious is more important than what chain or what technology they've chosen. When you think about who UBS is in the capital market space, UBS is one of the top investment banks globally. They're also one of the largest trading desks in the cap market space globally. They're also one of the largest wealth management funds, firms, and they're also one of the largest asset managers. They're also one of the biggest custody and clearinghouses and also one of the largest settlement houses, right? So when you think of the behemoth and the magnitude of what UBS as a financial institution could bring to the to the Web3 or the, the crypto markets, it's substantial. It's bigger than any institutional provider that is in the space right now that is focused on you know decentralized assets or crypto-backed assets. So that's big, right? And when you think about, hey, UBS is exploring tokenizing on Ethereum. What does that mean? Well, they're, they're starting to t- explore some of these capabilities. How do we settle and clear faster? How do we make sure that we fulfill counterparty risk with AML checks you know, faster? How do we make sure you know, our high-frequency trading desks are able to enter in and out of positions quicker using blockchain, maybe tokenized? You know, Brad made a mention about private equity and tokenizing funds and um, this concept of dead capital. And it's very, very, very big problem in the capital market space, which is these long capital lockup periods. One of the biggest markets in the capital market space is infrastructure and refi raises, right? And when you think about, hey, those products on average have five to 10 year averages of capital lockup illiquidity that easily if you could tokenize those projects and all of a sudden create a market of say, hey, there's all these oil and energy projects where their capital is locked up because they're drilling the oil in the ground, but the investors want to move the capital around. And if you can tokenize the shares of those investment projects and start creating a private market or a capital market around, hey, moving, because in reality, cap, you know, the, the, the capital market space is just ledgers, right? They're just centralized ledgers moving ones and O's and moving data and validating data of financial commerce against different proprietary um, uh, trading platforms and brokerage platforms and sources. And that's an opportunity that blockchain can really streamline and flow more effectively. But when you start thinking about the assets themselves, there has to be a much different perspective. And, and quite frankly, you know, I don't want to sound like a, a TradFi Maxist here, but they've got it figured out. Every every institutional financial institution that is a regulated institution, you know, on average spends about 50% of its net profits on compliance alone, right? And all of that is built for investor confidence. And so when we think about why should we trust a bank, why should we trust, like the, the, the system has been built specifically for them to benefit us for our own trust of these assets, right? And then creating those rails is really what's going to streamline a lot of adoption, right? Imagine if UBS all of a sudden opens up a UBS crypto derivatives trading desk because they've solved custody and liquidity and they've solved tokenization and they've solved custod- uh, custodying and all that stuff. They can bring in an amount of capital into the market that would dwarf the existing total crypto market cap. And that's that's really important, I think, more so than them yep. trialing Ethereum. 
Yeah. Brad, jumping over to you and, and kind of as we roll into closing here, you know, this is a thesis that you came up with years ago. So the idea of, of legal custody using blockchain technologies, you know, is is where you've been kind of, you know, moving in the the last, you know, what, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Um, really, I'd, I'd love you to kind of bring this to close with with some of your concepts around where we're, what we're going to most likely be seeing over the next, you know, few years um, as more and more of these, these banks finally get behind the concepts of what, why blockchain is a better technology than Swift, um, and why you know a little bit of decentralization uh, really will help liquidity in the long run. Well, I think we're going to see more platforms like um, Equify and Equibank that want to create financial ramps uh, into into the technology. I mean, the technology is the tool. And if we can bring traditional assets into a platform that uses the new technology, is compliant, and is able to uh, service the needs of larger institutions, uh, the larger institutions at the end of the day exist for one reason. They want to make money. They, they want to run a profitable business. So um, UBS is a really good example because uh, UBS has been... Um, recognizing crypto as an asset for its uh, clients for uh, several years now. So it was one of the first banks where you could go and deposit X amount of Bitcoin and they would recognize that in Swiss franc denomination that you can uh, use for qualifying for accounts and loans and things like that, which was uh, very, very uh, forward looking at that time when they started doing it. So it's exciting to see the uh, attraction that institutional organizations, global organizations are feeling uh, towards blockchain. And as long as there is uh, supportive and meaningful regulation around it where they need to operate, um, it's only a matter of time before they realize, let me see, I have to run this uh, ledger by myself. It's centralized. It's costing me data centers in five continents and you know, this is the cost, or I can do a decentralized uh, ledger, either fully custom like Onyx or, or use uh, Ethereum and, you know, require uh, some, some KYC and, and AML elements added to uh, on top of the base layer. But uh, once, once they see the cost savings and the opportunity, it's it's going to be adopted really fast, and and it's already happening. I mean, JP Morgan Chase have been testing and using internally their blockchain settlement layer for six years now, seven maybe. So it's not a new thing. Now that they're actually adding third parties into it, is is the news piece there? It's not that they've been, uh, you know, settling transactions on their own black blockchain because that was something they were very. Uh, um, innovative in, but now that they added BlackRock to it, it shows how um, easily, easily a blockchain-based solution can be offered to partners, third parties, rest of the world. So again, that's that's our mission, and, and it's nice to see that we're not the only ones uh, with this crazy idea that um, at some point we can disintermediate some of the infrastructure that governs 
stratify and hopefully make it more affordable, hopefully open it up to more people and bring it in and, you know, make it more accessible, not just for institutions, but for retail users too. Because if your cost to open an account is $100 and this person can only put $1 in it, you don't open accounts for them because it's not uh, cost effective. Whereas if you're costed $0.01 and they can put a dollar in it, now you have a business there. On the flip side, once you have the uh, control mechanisms and, and the, 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 the institutional solutions in place, you also bring the $10 trillion players into the space. And, and both of those are needed to transition into this new technology stack. Yeah, and I think the final you know things that I'll leave with this is... Um, you know, we as kind of the, the entire cryptocurrency market going from, you know, 500 billion to $3 trillion, you know, during the last, you know, bull rush, really, we did the beta testing for TradFi. The fact that you could have something like an NFT or a token, you know, on a blockchain hold value and be able to transact for millions of dollars. The fact that, you know, bored apes were transacting and moving around and, and there's all this extra functionality around them. Like, if you can do that with something that has no value other than digital scarcity and, you know, hopes and means, like now imagine what you can do with something that has real world value that is actually needed in, in the traditional finance institution that has, you know, entire planets full of people that actually need this to live, you know, tokenizing things like oil and water and fuel and, and energy. Now suddenly, like we have an instrument that has been proven to work for, for JPEG monkeys now it can actually really change the world in so many aspects, other aspects ways. I'm glad I'm glad I'm entertaining the two of you guys. Um, but I'm, I'm really I, I, I like hopes and memes. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna use that. Not hopes and dreams, but hopes and memes. I, listen, I'll, I'll I'll be wearing that at, at the next uh, ETH Denver. Uh, uh, we'll we'll get some T-shirts made. But uh, for everyone out there, Why Whales, thank you guys so much. Uh, we hope all your hopes and memes come true. And we'll see you guys next time on the the series of uh, real world assets and and true world tokenization. See you guys. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you, Siva. Thank you. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.